0: the 7 Investing Podcast. I'm Dan Klein, and I'm being joined today by my colleague, Austin Lieberman. Austin, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks, Dan. Happy to be here and uh, excited for today.
0: Uh, Excited is not the word I would use today. I'm trying to block out everything else about today. We're recording this on the day it's airing, so that would be a November 4th. And Austin, I don't know if you know this, uh, but it's election day. And I only know this because of course, every business I deal with has sent me an email along the lines of like, hey, it's election day. Would you like free wings from smoky bones? Like, This is not the time to be giving me a promotion. It is a very strange tie-in, but that is not what we're going to talk about. Uh, We're going to do something a little bit different today. First, we're going to go through our seven investing principles. These are the touchstones, which guide the seven stock picks we share with our members each month. After that, we're going to take a stock, in this case, the trade desk. That's stock symbol NASDAQ TTD, and put it... excuse me, yes, TTD, and put it through the criteria we use for our monthly write-ups of our picks. The Trade Trade Desk isn't a pick, but it's a stock many of us like. So we thought it would be a good one to use as an example to show how we look at each pick. But first, let's work through the seven principles that guide seven investing. Seven investing principle number one, it's personal. Austin, what does this mean?
1: Yeah, so... um... There's a lot of people out there that have very good intentions, whether they are in some shape or form a financial advisor, they're involved in investing, your, your uncle that you see at Thanksgiving, your aunt that you you see for the holidays, your brother, your sister. Um, but investing and in financial decisions all come down to the individual. That's you and we have to be informed. I think we're all passionate about and make our own decisions.
0: Yeah, and it's one of those things where our styles are different, our risk tolerances are different. So if you join Seven Investing, you might decide like, boy, I'm close to Dan's age. Dan's 47. Uh, he's a little bit conservative. You know, retirement isn't some crazy future time for him. I'll probably never retire, but you know, you never know if you're not going to be able to work. Uh, or you might decide, wow, I really like Austin, and his picks are a little bit more daring. They're companies I have to learn about, uh, and that's really where it's personal, where it comes in. You might pick a little of this, a little of that. Everybody is different. Seven investing principle number two: Buy companies, not tickers. Austin, explain what that means.
1: Yeah, this one, Dan. I think it, it's kind of self-explanatory, right? We we see all the time, and I'm I'm guilty of it too. People talking about tickers, and part of it is that's how you get awareness out there. You might tag a ticker on with the cash, the money sign on on Twitter, which helps people find it. But we invest in companies. These are companies and organizations that produce real products, they employ real people, and they spark incredible innovation and have, you know, have sales. And sometimes they have income, sometimes they don't. <laughs> but they're real companies. They're far more than names or, or tickers.
0: Yeah. It's, it's not about chasing the next thing. You'll see it on Facebook. Like people throw up a ticker. Should I buy this today? And they really mean, should I buy this today so I can make a bunch of money and sell it next week? That's not how investing works. If you're playing the game properly, it's also not a game. If you do it right, uh, I don't want to say it's a guarantee, but in the long run, if you buy good companies and hold them for a long time, you're going to win seven investing principle. Number three, don't stress yourself out. That one's pretty self-explanatory too.
1: Yep. And, uh, we're all in this to, to try to grow our wealth over time. Right. And again, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of seven investing because I think I needed these principles as much as anybody else out there. Um, and that's a really cool thing is, is we get to, to learn and improve ourselves, Dan. I think I've improved a lot as a, a person and, and just an investor being a part of this team. Cause we have some, some really amazing people on the team, just good human beings, you know? Um, but it, while we're, but trying to achieve financial freedom and or whatever our financial goal is and compound our wealth, it's tempting to maybe make some decisions and put ourselves in situations with our investments that stress us out and we lose sleep. And every single time I've done that, it I've just realized it's not worth the potential extra gain I might make in six months or a year on my portfolio. I'm trying to invest for a lifetime and for my kids and their kids and the kids after that. So what what am I doing stressing myself out for a few extra percent here or there? I need to have a plan that's going to be sustainable and work as a part of my life, not require all of my focus and attention.
0: Yeah. And a lot of that is about risk tolerance. People ask us, well, should I be trading options or puts, or I don't even know what some of these things are. And the reality is if you buy good companies and hold them, now that doesn't mean you can't have a small part of your portfolio that's speculative. I, I own some uh, some Royal Caribbean and some Carnival Cruise Line. I believe in both companies, but I'm also fully aware that a bankruptcy is possible. So it's like half a percentage, maybe one percent of my portfolio total. So even if they went bankrupt, I don't lose any sleep over that. Now, if it was twenty percent of my portfolio, I probably wouldn't sleep as well as night at night. So you really have to figure out where your tolerance. Some people might have five. 10% in riskier stocks. Some might have 0. Seven investing principle number 4, time is on your side. Austin, what does it mean?
1: You already talked about this a little bit at the beginning, Dan. Um we it, I think we all agree it's impossible to time the market over the short term. But what we think we can do is effectively time the market over the long term by being invested for the long term in owning great companies over the long term because what well, we found through our own experience and through our scorecard so far which is is beating the market uh over, since March which we know is a short period of time but we think we're going to be able to sustain that it, it's possible if you have a good framework to identify great companies buy them hold them maybe add to them which you might see us do with some repeat recommendations over time and then just let that those great management teams the great employees at those companies all the customers out there, let them grow your wealth for you versus uh, trying to time the next quarter, the next six months, or even the next year. We're trying to do three, five, 10 year timeframes is how we think about it.
0: Yeah. People are going to ask us a lot like, oh, this is down 5% today. Should I sell? Should I cut my losses? Should I buy back in at a lower point? Don't even think about it. If the fundamentals of the company are good, that's all you have to worry about. Did the, is the management making the right long-term decisions? We've seen some really good companies report really strong earnings and drop by 10% because market you know expectations. Eventually, that corrects and it goes in the right direction. Seven, investing principle number five, valuation matters. Uh, I don't see a lot of people ignoring valuation, but some people don't put much stock in it. Your thoughts, Austin?
1: Yeah. And, you know, I tweeted this out this morning. Sean Emery, um, I believe I might get this wrong, but I believe he's the founder or at least co founder and CEO of Avery and Co. We actually interviewed him on our podcast. He said, in a way, we're all value investors, right? Whether you invest in companies that are fast growing or maybe the term that you're a value investor by that definition, you look for book value that's under uh, the current value. We're all looking to find companies that are worth less now. Than we think they're going to be in the future. How we think they get there is is different, but uh, we have to be able to see a picture where the company is larger and more important and, and more valuable in the future than it is today if we're thinking about investing in it.
0: Yeah, and let's talk about the most valuable company in the world, Apple. So Apple's flirted with a $2 trillion valuation. It's gone up, it's gone down. But if you look at Apple and you truly believe they have a trillion-dollar opportunity in healthcare, well, their share price could grow by 50%. Now, if you don't believe that, you might look and say, okay, well, they're not going to sell you know, 50% more iPhones. They're not going to grow their service business by 200%. So even though this is a great company, maybe the valuation doesn't work for me. That's where we're going to get with number seven. But first, number six, seven investing principle, number six, find one-of-a-kind companies, one-of-a-kind in a good way, not one-of-a-kind in a bad way. Austin, your thoughts here.
1: Yeah. And Dan, we're going to talk about this, uh, with our example of the trade desk. We're also going to talk about valuation a little bit for a reason that, that might subscribe or subscribe, uh, that might surprise. (laughs) Please
0: subscribe (laughs) at seven investing.com slash subscribe, but that's not where you were
1: going that. Nope. I was planning that Dan. Great, great recovery. (laughs) Thank you for the help. Um, the, So we're going to talk about this with the trade desk, but we want to find one of a kind companies, companies that are in some way, shape or form doing something or doing it in a way that really nobody else is. And it makes them unique and it makes makes them valuable and potentially gives them a long term competitive advantage.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't have to be a company that on the surface is doing something unique, like we make uh, AI driven unicorns that can fly like, okay, that's unique, but it's not that valuable. But take an example, like say Starbucks, Well, on the surface, they sell coffee. The reality is they're using technology and they're, and they're very focused on their approach and they've done much more that makes them unique compared to say Panera bread or Dunkin donut. So, you know, if you're looking for best in class, if you're looking for one of a kind, you might have to go a little deeper. Number seven is actually, I think one of the most important here. It's in the top seven, at least. Seven investing principle, number seven, develop a thesis.
1: And Dan, this is another good one. You, you just mentioned this, but, uh, having a thesis and understanding the company that you're investing in at least a little bit. And so we're a stock recommendation service, right? We provide recommendations every month to people. And we hope that that informs and helps people understand investments better. But at the end of the day, we all need to have a process for reading research and a trusted source, which we hope to be, but we have to make our own decisions and we have to have a thesis in our mind of why we think this company is a great investment, because there's there's two, there's a lot of parts to being a good investor. We have to find great companies, but we also have to be able to hold on to them. That holding on to them and being a long-term investor, we all believe is how we grow true life-changing wealth. In my experience, and I've done this personally, if I don't have a thesis of a company. I'm not going to be able to hold on to it for the long-term anyways, so I'm not going to be able to achieve that goal of of compounding my wealth. So like you just said, I think this is one of the most important parts that
0: we're going to talk about. And it's one of the reasons you subscribe to 7investing, because you don't have the time to do this. So I'm one of the few people that really, really covers retail. And I worked in retail. I ran a toy store for two years. I ran a uh, a rental manufacturing and and retail store for my family ladder and scaffolding business. So I have a perspective on this that you might not have. A lot of people believe, for example, that mall traffic was falling. And the reality is mall foot traffic was not particularly down before the pandemic. A lot of people believe that, you know, half of sales were being done on the internet. The answer is it was actually about 13.4% of sales. And even during the pandemic, it's only about 20%. So we bring That perspective, I don't just study the company I recommend. I've studied the entire industry around it. And I spend, you know, eight to 10 hours a day reading and learning. And I think we all do. That's the nature of this. We like doing this. So our thesis doesn't just come from, okay, this is what company X does, but this is all the things around it. But even with that, we had to develop a process. So every month we each make a pick. And when we make a pick, we do a write up and we use a sort of form to do it. We go through, let's see, one, two, three, four, five six seven eight different segments uh and we we fill it in and this gives us hey this is what we think And this is why we think it and then we actually have a video call with each other where we present our case we say this is a company i like and this is why and we actually try to in a nice way pick holes in each other's arguments it makes it stronger we haven't had one yet where anyone went oh i'm going to change my pick but that might happen at some point so we're going to go through austin's really going to go through the trade desk today Uh, and we usually start with the seven investing key takeaway that's kind of for the person who's not going to read the whole report let's make sure they at least get something important Austin, what is your key takeaway on the trade desk?
1: Yeah, so the, the you know thing I look for in, in these key takeaways is just a like you said a, an understanding of the kind of the funda- what the business is built on the fundamental purpose of the business. So we'll talk about that with the trade desk. The trade desk empowers buyers of advertising uh, to basically improve and optimize their advertising spend on digital platforms. And the company was founded by Jeff Green, who's still the CEO today, and David Pickles, who's still the chief technology officer, the CTO, in 2009. And basically, they've spent years and millions, or at this point, even potentially hundreds of millions of dollars, building proprietary self-service cloud-based platform where ad buyers can create, manage, and optimize more expressive data-driven digital advertising campaigns. So essentially, like I said, they're helping advertisers optimize and digitize their marketing spend. And as we've seen with COVID-19, advertisers are turning to them in, in digital advertising now more than ever because they their budgets might be going down and they really need to be able to get the most return on investment in the
0: advertising dollars that they're spending. So the second section is going to be a little bit redundant here, so you can take it quickly. But what does the Trade Desk do? Really sum up what they do.
1: Yeah, so specifically, they allow marketers to advertise in every format imaginable. So any format that that really you can think of or any place that you can think of that you might spend your digital time on the internet, uh, the Trade Desk enables people to advertise there. And really, uh, they've also, a, a key to their success is they have built partnerships and integrations on top of this data platform, which I'll talk about in a second, um, with major data providers, um, inventory providers and publishing partners to ensure maximum reach in decisioning capabilities for the ads that they they have on their campaign. And that means that their customers get that reach and that data as well. And the way they do that is in 2018, the company introduced a reimagined platform that they call the next wave. It included basically three pieces. One was called the planner. One was called COA, which is an artificial intelligence engine. And one was called Megagon, which they've kind of changed that term now and and split this one out. But basically that was the media buying tool arm. And so those things work in exactly the way that you would imagine the planner helps people in teams plan these budgets across multiple platforms koa the ai engine helps them get the insights that they need and assists them in optimizing where they're spending each bucket of their advertising budget uh, every month every week It, it allows them to really adapt that and change it and get the most return possible and then the media buying tool has been kind of split these days into like three or four different things, but it just helps them have different ways that they can purchase and, and plan their media, uh, their media buying. And it, it's really built off of and sort of encapsulates the planner and that AI engine that we just talked about
0: they might want to spend a few more dollars on names. I, I feel like the next wave is a Fox show that was canceled in 1997, and Megagon, he is the guy who battles Optimus Prime. So, that's not great, but doesn't change. Their goal is to get advertising as effective as possible, make the most money for the advertisers, uh, you know, for the, the places taking the advertising, with the most effective reach for the advertisers and the best experience for the consumer. What's happening in the bigger picture? Obviously, the ad world is changing. That's being hastened by the pandemic. Austin, bigger picture here.
1: Yeah, and so the bigger picture, kind of just like what you talked about and what I've alluded to, Dan, the advertising is changing. And really, the Trade Desk, over the past few years, the stock has done extremely well. And what they were first really known for is, is connected TV advertising. So when we say connected TV, we mean streaming TV. That's watching TV on your Roku device or on... Uh, You know, whatever different streaming service that you use. Uh, The reason I'm being careful here is because not all of them um, advertise with the trade desk. But just to give you an idea, streaming TV is Netflix, HBO, uh, HBO Max, Disney Plus, those types of things. For years,
0: there, there's no ads in two of those, so Hulu would probably be a better example, along with YouTube TV or or, or Facebook Live. Though Facebook has its own ad engine, uh, but Netflix and Disney Plus do not have ads, so probably worth pointing out.
1: Correct, but but those two could potentially be the trade desk customers if they're using the trade desk to in spending to advertise their own services on the platform. That's why I was trying to be careful with the way I mentioned, it. but yeah, thanks for, for clearing that. Clearing and, that they out prob- and
0: they probably are. So. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> why wouldn't they be? Um, so anyways, we've seen the trend of people moving from cable television to those streaming services that we're talking about. So that's happening in, in, people are digitizing their spend. And so that is basically the fundamental premise of why or of the big picture and why the Trade Desk is a good investment today. And then and then really the Trade Desk's results has have also kind of mirrored that sh- that larger shift, that global shift from physical advertising to digital advertising. And so from in in 2015 their revenue was $114 million. And then just to give an idea, in fiscal year 2019, their revenue was $661 million. So phenomenal growth. That's what, a, a 4X off the top of my head in revenue growth just from 2015 to 2019. So clearly, we're seeing spend going more from physical to digital. And the Trade Desk has been a major beneficiary of that shift.
0: And that's going to continue. What are the key risks, Austin?
1: Yeah, and so the the key risks, and this is where we talked about um, valuation a little bit, where where valuation matters as one of our principles. That's a part, in my opinion, of probably not a risk, but at least some potential short term volatility. The trade desk right now is is trading at it, it's generally valued on a price to sales ratio basis. So that's that's basically just a price related to the amount of sh- of sales that they have. We don't have time in this podcast to go into complete detail. We've covered that definition in a previous podcast. But just to give you an idea, the low uh, their price to sales ratio low and this is a forward one year basis is around 6.5. The high is around 30. Right now, it's sitting at about 27. So the key is it's almost at the very highest it's ever been on a price-to-sales ratio. But their revenue growth, which is which is what goes into some of these price-to-sales valuations, is a lot lower now than it has been in the past. Part of that is because of the pandemic, but part of it is because they just have more revenue and it's harder to grow as fast. So the reason that that price-to-sales ratio in their valuation could present short-term volatility or short-term risk is just because it might have gotten a little bit ahead of itself and they may not be able to grow as fast as they have in the past. And if that happens, Wall Street and the market could kind of turn negative on the stock, which they've been very positive. And so, Dan, just to give listeners insight, I love the trade desk but this is basically the reason that I have not recommended it is because every month we have to make the decision on our best stock available right or best company available and because of this risk as much as I love the trade desk I've just felt there have been better opportunities the other big risk Dan and then I'll, I'll let you chime in is China China could be a huge opportunity for the trade desk and they're trying to move internationally in a big way but as we've seen uh, relations can go sh- can go sour, and and that could affect at least in the short term. That can affect companies that are either growing in China or planning to grow in China. And the trade desk has to grow internationally in order to continue to grow as a company.
0: Yeah. And it's important It's important to note that we each make our best pick each month. So it's not every stock we like. It's the one we like the best. And when you look at the current conditions, there's two things that really impact the trade desk. The first is the election. Election advertising changes everything. It takes the most valuable real estate. I mean, you've watched TV at night on regular television. I live in, well, we both live in Florida. Like 98% of ads are for candidates. Uh, it, I, You might sometimes see a Biden ad, then a Trump ad, then three local ads, then it goes back to the show. There's very little advertising for anything else. Uh, there's somehow uh, T Mobile and Verizon have managed to get some spots. What happens on the internet is they buy up the prime spots, and that forces your second tier of advertisers, your Coca Cola, your Verizon, your MMs, whatever it is, onto the next tier of websites. And it's good for everybody, but it's artificial. It's a one time every four year bump. So when that ends, you're still in a pandemic, there might be a few quarters of much slower advertising spending. It's really gonna depend where the economy is really after tomorrow, because you don't really spend money on the election after the election. We're gonna skip the next one because we talked about valuation when it comes to to risks. Uh, and then we're gonna talk about, we've two more, management and vision. You already mentioned you like the management here, but give a little insight there.
1: Yeah, so Jeff Green, and really, David Pickles and their entire team. For one, they're they're very aware of the importance of diversity on the team, and they make they they talk about it on the, uh, the trade desk as a blog. A lot of companies have blogs. They talk about that a lot, and um, they've been voted as one of the best places to work in America. It happens. It seems like they're up there almost every year. They have great Glassdoor ratings, which Glassdoor is a, a place you can go and see sort of culture ratings. I would say on on companies and and the the sort of company overview and background. But the other thing with Jeff Green, uh, and I really encourage people to do this, even if you don't own the trade desk, I think CEOs of every company should be doing this. He is one of the best communicators and speakers on their conference calls. At the beginning of every conference call, he, he lays out a just beautiful summary and vision of what the business is doing now, but then where he sees it going in the future. And when we talk about vision, you know, he's had this vision of programmatic advertising, digital advertising for, it feels like 10 years now. I mean, the company was founded in 2009. That's why he founded the company. Right. And they've been a big reason. The trade desk has been a big reason why digital advertising has, has done what it's done. And then the last thing is, you know, the ambition, the ambition for, Jeff Green and the trade desk, which is now, I think it's around a $50 billion company. I'm I'm not looking at it right now to go after the advertising space against Facebook and Google and, you know, all these other massive, massive Titans, even Amazon is, is a massive advertising Titan. His vision is that, you know, those companies are what's called walled gardens. If you advertise within their platforms, you don't get to see data and spend, and you don't get to advertise outside of those platforms. If you're on Facebook, if you're advertising on Facebook, that's where you're advertising. He wants to represent the rest of the internet, which as big as those companies are, the rest of the internet is far larger. There's a lot more eyeballs and a lot more dollars that are spent in the rest of the internet than on those platforms alone. But the ambition and the vision to go after those platforms is is pretty inspiring and i almost want to own the company just because i like rooting for the underdog sometimes
0: It's very much like the FedEx strategy of not working with Amazon to be more appealing to everybody else. But you mentioned Glassdoor. Glassdoor is a company I like a lot. I actually like managed the relationship with them at my my last employer. One word of caution with Glassdoor: it's kind of like Yelp, that you can't please everybody. So if you, I, what I would do on on Glassdoor is I would sort of eliminate the top two percent and the bottom two percent. There's always going to be someone who has an incredibly negative opinion on a company, and it's because they're terrible, or they weren't a great fit. And then there's always going to be a small percentage that are like absolute sycophants. So you really want to look at the, the ratings as a bulk and, and a company like the trade desk has enough of those. But Austin, as we cleared this up on the on the trade desk, what should we be watching if we're considering investing here?
1: Yeah, and so let's just kind of take it home. This is our, our last category. And just to give everybody a reminder, our our new recommendations just came out. Yesterday and, and look, we know it's kind of a crazy time, so we might not be thinking about subscribing to an investing service right now, and we get it, but please consider it, check us out. Wait, wait, why? Is that
0: is that because of the new season of The Mass Singer? Is that is there something going on that I'm no, we all know it's election time. We are all sitting on the edges of our seats, you know, no matter what political party you're in, there is a lot of call it fear, apprehension. I don't know what the word is right now, but you know, that doesn't mean this is a company that's on my watch list. It's not a company I feel the need to buy now for the reasons I just articulated. The next six months, I'd almost throw them out in the future of the trade desk. If they do well, that's phenomenal. It adds to the story. If they don't do well, I'm not sure it means anything because it's just going to be a very strange time for advertising. Austin, your final word.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. And the last thing I was going to get to, Dan, is, is like, you know, we're, we're aware of what's, what's going on right now, but I I think we're all firm believers that we don't want to change our investing process or make huge changes in our portfolio because of what's going on, because data shows that elections happen, surprises happen, and the economy just kind of keeps going on. And then over the last hundred plus years, stocks have continued to do well and great companies do well. Um, so yeah, the, the last thing is just, I'm going to be keeping an eye on, on, um, Advertising like you just talked about over the next six months or a year, but really that China relationship and and how their growth internationally goes because that is what truly is going to dictate the future of this company, if they can grow successfully outside of the United States.
0: So that brings us to the end of this section. So here's why we did this. This is the process we go through through each month. So we make sort of a rough pick in the middle of the month, and then we go through this exercise. And it's possible that as you go through it, you might look at, say, management or valuation and go, ooh, I don't like something about this, and, and then switch your pick. Like That kind of thing happen. So this was kind of a peek inside the curtains. We hope it was helpful. If you have any questions, if you'd like to know anything, you can reach us at uh, info at 7investing. That's the number 7investing.com. Or you can hit us up on Twitter at 7, again, the number 7investing.com. For Austin Lieberman, I am Dan Klein. This has been the 7 Investing Podcast. Enjoy the day.
1: See you, everybody.